0: How many are ready for the Word of God? Come on, are you really ready for God's Word? Amen. Can you do me a favor? We're just kind of uh, figuring things out in here, first service, all those types of things. If I can get these center lights to come on, these, these lights that are on for the fans, uh, a couple of the ushers know what to do with that, to help me with that. I want to see you. There we go. I want to be able to see who I'm uh, speaking to this morning. I want you to go uh, with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. In case you didn't know, today is Pentecost Sunday, and um, so we're going to talk about that, what that looks like today, and um, what God has to say about where we are today. And so Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says this, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity and the privilege to be able to be here today. I'm asking God over the next few minutes, Lord, that you would just speak to us. I'm asking God that you would meet with us, and I'm asking God that you would change us. And we're asking these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And everyone said amen men. Penta means five, and coste means to the 10th power. And so when you put that word together, Pentecost, you get the word, it means 50. Now let me ask you, is there any reason to be afraid of the word Pentecost? That's not a trick question you can say no there's no reason to be afraid of that and the reason that i that i even mentioned that is because some people when they hear the word pentecost automatically their mind starts to wander and drift about what we would call pentecostals hello smile right and this is this is and so you know i grew up in a pentecostal church right And uh, I could probably say I've seen just about everything happen in a church service. Some of God, some not of God, right? And this is how you would know you were brought up, um, what I would call radical Pentecostal. If you referred to uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost then you were probably radical Pentecostal. Come on, somebody, how many, how many radicals are in the house, right? Help, you're going to have to help me today. Now, if you were a little more conservative and with your uh, worship experience, your church experience, yet spirit-filled, it wasn't the Holy Ghost, it was the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, And so that kind of even, you know, you hear someone talk about, well, the Holy Ghost, that's more the radical group, the Holy Spirit, that's more the conservative group. But really, those are individuals, right? When we talk about Pentecost, you cannot mistake Pentecost with Pentecostals. That's what I'm trying to get across right now. So so let's take a look at Pentecost first, and then we'll unpack a few things. Pentecost was one of the three major feasts that God ordained through the prophet Moses that all of his people were to participate in. The three feasts would be Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. The interesting thing about these three feasts um, is simply this. We have witnessed Passover. We just went through Passover, right? We went through Passover Egypt or the children of Israel experienced passover when the death angel the night that God the, the night that God uh, delivered them from Egypt the death angel passed over every home where the blood had been applied and so when the death angel saw the blood applied to the doorpost he passed over that home every home that did not have the blood the death angel struck that home and the firstborn was, was killed during that time. Listen to this. For the first time since the first Passover, the nation of Israel not only celebrated Passover, but they experienced Passover for the very first time because during this time of quarantine, they were locked down for 24 hours, just like, just like back at the first Passover. They were not to leave their homes, and you and I were a part of that. For the very first time, not only did we celebrate Passover, but we participated in Passover because we were quarantined. We were supposed to be in our homes. We've experienced that. Jesus came, right, and Jesus was our Passover lamb, right? He fulfilled the Passover. He was the spotless lamb. It's his blood that cleanses us. It's his blood that covers us. It's his blood that atones us, right? And so when the enemy looks at us, he sees the blood, and he has to pass over. I need a shouter. I need a amen right there. He sees the blood, and he has to pass over. I'm going to come over here and see if this is my amen corner right now. You should be because I paid every one of you before service. Amen and so so just like the song we just sang when the what what the enemy meant for evil, God turns it for our good. No weapon formed against us will ever ever prosper. Come on somebody. it's not going to happen. why? because the enemy is not stronger than the blood that's not only cleansed us but the blood that protects us, right? We have that blood covering us as well, and so they we have experienced Pentecost because, uh, because on the day of Pentecost, the Bible said that they were in an upper room and the Holy Spirit filled that room and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So there are two feasts that have already been fulfilled according to Scripture. The third feast that Israel c- celebrates to this day and it's in the fall of the year, and it is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, stay with me. The Feast of Tabernacles is an ingathering of the last uh, harvest of the season. We have yet to experience that as a church or as, uh, uh, as the world. We've experienced Passover. We've experienced Pentecost, but we have not experienced Tabernacles. But I can tell you right now, that we are getting ready to experience tabernacles, because what the Feast of Tabernacle represents it 's the end gathering of a last day harvest. it is a type and a shadow of the rapture. It is the only thing left church it is the only prophecy left to be fulfilled, but we 're not there yet we 're getting close we 're getting close, but we 're not there yet, and so, as I said, Pentecost was this feast that the second feast that God established with his people it's found in Exodus chapter 19 we don't have time to go there today but it's found in Exodus chapter 19 when Moses led the children of Israel after Passover through the wilderness they came to Mount Sinai and when they came to Mount Sinai God told them to camp here and he said in three days I'm going to meet with you interesting Jesus got up how many days later three days after the Passover. He said, in three days, I'm going to meet with you on this mountain. He said, I want you to consecrate yourself. I want you to sanctify yourself. I want you to prepare yourself for my coming. And so, sure enough, three days later on Mount Sinai, God comes down on that mountain. You can read about it, like I said, in Exodus 19. Fire falls. Smoke fills the mountain. Thunder, lightning covers that mountain. And we see a manifestation of the presence of God himself. God comes comes down. It's another type and shadow. God comes down, and when God comes down, it's with a shout. Now, what does the Bible tell us? That the Lord himself himself is going to do what? The Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with what? With a shout, amen. And when that shout happens, the dead in Christ are going to rise. Those of us who are alive and remain are going to be caught up together in the air, in the clouds. And there shall we ever be with the Lord. I just told you about the rapture right there. But there is a type and a shadow of it. In Exodus 19, God calls Moses to the base of the mountain. God comes down to that mountain, and then God manifests himself and calls Moses calls, calls Moses up to that mountain. It is the first Pentecost of the nation of Israel, right there on that mountain. Moses experienced 50 days after Passover on Mount Sinai, God's Spirit descending and covering that mountain. And then God gave Moses the law in which Israel was to follow. Now, I'm in Acts chapter 2. Come on, somebody, help me today. I'm in Acts chapter 2. And the Bible said that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. Everyone say one place. One accord. One accord and in one place. So accord means the aligning of stones, the aligning of stones for building purposes. So when he says that they were in one accord, they were in alignment. And the reason that they were in alignment was in order to build what God was getting ready to birth, and what God was getting ready to birth was the church. So this Pentecost experience in Acts chapter 2, God comes down again, manifests himself, what? Through the wind, through the fire, right? Through the sound of the wind that comes down and fills that room. And what's happening in this place is God is aligning his body to fulfill his purpose. And so I simply believe this. I simply believe that we have gone through a lot of things over the past 60 days, 40 days, 50 days, that we have gone through a lot of things in order for God to realign us and repurpose us, recommission us, and call us to his will and to his purpose in these last days. And so God is realigning, reestablishing, reestablishing, resetting the church for a what I believe will be a last day outpouring of the Spirit of God before he descends from heaven and calls his church home. If you're in agreement with me right now, come on, church, let's give the Lord praise right here. Come on, those of you that are watching us online, you need to celebrate and praise God with us. Here's what the Bible says. That that Jesus, in John chapter 16, verse 32, said this. He prophesied what was going to happen. He said, because of my crucifixion, he said, many of you would scatter, and you would scatter each to his own. So they were together. When the crucifixion took place, the Bible said they scattered. They all went separate ways. They went their own way to their own places. And so they were divided over the resurrection. Uh, Thomas said what? Thomas said, I don't care what you tell me. I don't, I'm not going to believe your report unless I see it for myself. So there was division there within the believers. And then Peter comes along and Peter says, uh, I'm, I quit. I'm going to go back to the fishing business. And so one of the chief apostles who would lead the church leaves the church, and he says, I'm going back to fishing. And then I don't know if you've ever caught this in the reading, but it's in Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. And Mark does not identify himself, but many scholars say it is Mark. Mark literally is stripped of his clothes and runs naked throughout the city streets. Yeah, I thought you'd be shocked by that statement right there. It's in your Bible. And so we have a church that is scattered. We have a church that is divided. We have a church, come on somebody, that many or some are losing it. (laughs) And Jesus comes back and he spends the next 40 days after his resurrection on the earth. 40 days ministering on the earth. What was he doing? He was regathering his people. He was was reuniting his people. He was realigning his people. You see, the crisis had scattered them, and Jesus had to come back, and Jesus had to reunite them. He had to bring them back together. Three times in the book of Acts chapter 1, three times you'll read about Jesus regathering the disciples. Jesus bringing the disciples back together. And this is where we find them in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1. He brought them back together again. And I'm just simply suggesting this. Could God be using this Pentecost today to reunite the church? Could God be using this time right now to reunite us to his vision to reunite us to his purpose to reassemble us to reestablish us and to reset us not just pouring out not just for an outpouring of his spirit but for us to see a move of God in nations that will totally transform i'm talking about not just churches i'm talking about cities i'm talking about states i'm talking about nations That's what God wants. God's just not looking for a church. He's looking to transform nations. Come on, if you believe it. Put those hands together and give him praise. I think you can tell I've been looking forward to having you here because I feel something... As Jeremiah said, it's like fire that's shot up in my bones. And if I would hand you this microphone right now, you might well do the very same thing because it is like fire right now being shot up through my bones. Old Pentecostals know what I'm talking about right here. <laughs> Hallelujah. Conservative Pentecostals are like Pastor, calm down now. We got you. You're okay. I think it's important, church, for us to note that the Holy Spirit is drawn to unity. Catch what I just said. The Holy Spirit is drawn to, attracted to unity. This tells me one of the key components of having a Spirit-filled church is having a unified church. I don't really think you can be a Spirit-filled church until you are a unified church. I think as individuals, yes, we can be filled with the Spirit, but I'm talking about as a corporate body where the Spirit of God is tangible, where the manifestation of the Spirit of God is experienced. I don't think that happens unless the church is unified. And so I think one of the keys going forward for the church, because we are the model, I think one of the keys going forward is for the church to be unified. Come on, somebody, you're going to have to help me right there. It is vital for the health it is vital for the ministry of the church, and I'm not just talking about life point, but it is vital for us to stay united, especially during these times. Come on, someone. It's vital for us as a church to stay united. We're going to disagree on some things, and that's okay, right? We don't always have to agree with each other. We're not always going to see eye-to-eye on things. How many of you know that doesn't even happen in your home? (laughs) Thank you. I was waiting for that. (laughs) That, I mean, you're not in agreement on everything in your home. What do you want for a dinner? I don't want that. (laughs) Well, I thought you did. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to watch that. So what makes you think we're always going to be in agreement when you start getting 3 and 400 people assembling together? It's not that we're always, you know, it's not that we always agree to everything. It's not always going to happen. But what keeps unity in your family and what keeps unity within the body of our of Christ is our love one for another. Do I need to say that again? What keeps unity in your home, what keeps unity in the church is our love one for another. Jesus said, you're not going to know them by the gifts of manifestation that are occurring in churches. You are going to know that they are my people, that this is my church. The way that you will be able to identify my church is their love one for another. That's how you'll know you're you're in my body. The Bible lets us know in in, in 1 Peter 4 and 8 that love covers a multitude of sins. And so whenever we are wronged, our calling is to ask ourselves, is this offense one that I should let go of? Because you're going to be offended. Some of you were probably offended coming in today. It's okay. That's going to happen. But is, is this an offense that I should let go of? In other words, is this offense listed among the multitude that love covers? Or is this offense grievous enough that means I have to confront this individual or individuals, but watch this, I confront them with the same grace that God confronts me with. Got quiet, I just felt the air go out of the balloons right there. That I confront each other, we confront each other with the same love and compassion and grace that God confronts us with. Unity in the church calls for us to be under accusers, over repented and over-forgiven, right? Let us not be afraid to call sin, sin, but let us not be slow to forgive and let us not be slow to hold on to an offense. Let it go. Come on, just look at somebody and tell them, let it go. Let it go. Oh, I have to hurry. Whenever there is a lack of love in any relationship, every word will be viewed with suspicion. Whenever there is a lack of love in any relationship, every action is liable to a misunderstanding. When when I love somebody with the love of God and which God loves me, I am committed to build that person up, not tear that person down. I'm committed to that fact, to build them up, not to tear them down. When I love the way that God loves us, then I see value in that person. I don't have to agree with that person, but I see value in that person because God saw enough value in each and every one of us to send his only begotten son, right, to, right, to send his only begotten son to die for us. And so that's some very important that we keep that same kind of love, that same kind of focus on others that we are not necessarily in agreement with, but we value them as an individual, I didn't know it was going to be this tight, but it's all right because I'm still coming. The Bible plainly tells us that there is nothing that we can't do as long as we stay united in heart and mind. Nothing. Genesis chapter 11. The world had gathered, and God says they have one mind, They have one voice. They have one language. And he said, there's nothing that they will not be able to do unless I confound their language. They were trying to ascend themselves above their creator. And what did God do? God came down and God confused and divided the people. He confused their language and divided them all in Genesis chapter 11. But on Pentecost, God brings us back together. And with the spirit of Of the the baptism of the Spirit, he unites us back together and gives us all one language. And what is that language? It is the language of the Spirit. What is the language of the Spirit? The language of the Spirit is love. Come on, somebody. The language of the Spirit is love. And God says, if you'll just love one another, if you'll just stay united with one another, there's nothing that you will not be able to accomplish in my name. As long as we stay united in heart and mind. And I'm gonna tell you right now, this is why the enemy is doing his best to try to bring division. To try to bring division in homes, to try to bring division in families, to try to bring division in communities, to try to bring division in a city, in a state, in a nation. And in the world, the weapon that the enemy, listen to me, the weapon that the enemy is forming against us in this very hour is the weapon of division. He is a divider. The Bible said he is the accuser of the brethren. And what what that literally means is he comes to divide, to separate us, to divide us. And so we have to recognize that there is a spirit that is being loosed in our nation, and that spirit is sent to divide us. That spirit is sent to destroy us. Come on, somebody. But that weapon will not prosper. I said that weapon, the, that weapon will not prosper. No weapon formed against us will prosper. And I stand from this pulpit. It's the only pulpit. It's the only platform that I have right now. But I stand here and I speak to the airwaves as well that we will not be defeated and we will not be divided. We are going to be united, reassembled, reunited. Come on, somebody. We're coming back together and we're coming back stronger and more powerful than we've ever been before. If you believe it, shout yes in this house. Look at your neighbor and tell him that's old Pentecostal. (laughs) Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. (laughs) So we have to agree to disagree on certain things. But what we cannot allow, listen to me, what we cannot allow is for an offense to set up in our hearts. Because if we allow an offense to set up in our hearts, the enemy will use that to drive a wedge of disunity among us. And a house divided cannot, come on, amen corner, stand. A house divided cannot stand, but a house united cannot fail, cannot, and so the enemy knows this, and the enemy knows as long as there is a unity among people, a unity among the church, there is a release of the Holy Spirit of God, because Let's not think that we will be able to accomplish anything without the outpouring and the power of the Holy Spirit in these last days. Listen to me. We're not fighting flesh and blood today what we're seeing going on right now has nothing to do with flesh and blood. What we're witnessing right now has everything to do with principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Read your Bible. That's what we are up against right now. That's the forces that we're battling against. And we cannot fight flesh with flesh, or we cannot fight spirit with flesh. We have to fight spirit with spirit, and that is the Holy Spirit, and that is the power of God, because the weapons of our warfare, I feel like preaching. the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they sure enough are mighty through the pulling down of strongholds in Jesus' name, through the pulling down of strongholds. Psalm 133 says this: Behold how good and how pleasant is it for brethren to dwell together. In unity. What does it look like when we dwell together in unity? Psalm 133. He said, it's like the oil that was poured upon the head of Aaron, the priest. He said that oil was poured upon the head of Aaron and they didn't do like we do today. It wasn't a little dab will do you. They said it could have been up to five quarts of oil that would be poured upon the priest. They would pour that oil, sanctifying that priest, setting that priest apart for God's service. That oil would saturate his clothing. And the Bible said it ran down his beard into the skirts of his garment You've heard me preach this before, but I need to say it again. What that represents is this. The anointing of God, when a when a church is united, the anointing of God is as strong in the hem of the garment as it is the head of the church. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? That simply means this. The anointing of God is just as powerful in your home. Come on, somebody. The anointing of God is just as powerful through your hands. The anointing of God is just as powerful through your words because it was the woman who had an issue of blood who reached out and grabbed the what? The hem of Jesus' garment. And when she touched the hem of his garment, the Bible said she was made whole. I'm trying to get you to see that God just doesn't want the head anointed. God wants the whole body anointed. And if we'll come together in one mind and in one accord, come on, if we'll come together in one mind and one accord and align ourselves to the purpose and the plan of God the whole body will be anointed to carry out the purpose of God. It will be. Now that's the introduction. But I need you to stand. Remember nobody leaving. Just hold on. this message, I've changed it probably four or five times. Just trying to hear from God. Trying to hear from God through all the chaos, all the confusion, all the mess that's going on. Just, Lord, what are you saying to us? Saying to us, Lord, in this hour, dealing with pandemics and dealing with all of the messes, what are you saying to us, God? And I felt like the Lord just said, "Tell them to love one another, love their enemies." Let them see the Christ in you. You know, we don't have a skin problem in America. We have a sin problem in America. Do I need to say that again? We don't have a skin problem in America. We have a sin problem in America. It's sin that causes another person to murder another person. It's sin that causes another person to riot in a street. It's sin that causes another person to destroy another person's property. It's sin that causes another person to hate another person who's done absolutely nothing to them. It's not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. And until we humble ourselves, I didn't know the first day was going to be so hard. I didn't. I thought it was going to be just shouting, and, but we've shouted and we're still empty. What will turn this nation is when the church can lead with love and get United. Let's give with try to collect and give with some people and say look I don't understand I don't understand what you feel how you're going through but help me let's let's unite together let's work together cuz the bible said by the time you get to ch- verse 6 that when the people outside of the church who had gathered there heard the sound that was going on in the church, the Bible said that they ran. They ran and gathered together outside of what was going on in that upper room. Could it be that God has given us the key that will cause people to gather together? I think it is. God has given us the key and it it's the voice Of unity. And if we'll just unite, and if we'll pray, and if we'll seek God, and if we'll humble ourselves, and if we will repent, I believe that we will see one more outpouring of the Spirit of God in our nation. Do you believe that with me today? So we humble ourselves, Father, and we repent. We we repent of our sins. We repent of our hatred. Of our division. We repent, Father, of our anger. We repent, Lord, of not relying on you for the solution and the answers. We repent, Father. for hating our neighbors. We repent, Father, for neglecting spiritual things, prayer, Bible reading, devotion time with you. We repent, Lord. I simply believe, Lord, that you are not going to let us go until we are changed. And you will use whatever you have to use for that to happen because you love us too much for us to stay the same. Let it start with me. Let healing start with me. Let healing start within this church and heal our land, Father. It's in Jesus' mighty name that I pray. Amen.